Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that we can have a, such a wonderful uh, God. We have a wonderful Saviour in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for passages in your word like Romans chapter 8, which just give us such hope and joy and, um, and a reason to live. We sang before 10,000 reasons that we can think of. I'm reminded of a song uh, by David Meese that says, We are the reason that you gave your life. We are the reason you came and suffered and died. And, and Lord, we thank you that this relationship we can now have with your Father, with an almighty God through the work of the cross and the, the joy we can have, the, the reasons that we can enjoy that relationship, Father, the reasons we can um, not have doubts about our salvation, not have doubts about being filled by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just speak um, through my... Um, mouth this morning, your words, Lord, may they speak to people here this morning who need to hear this message. And we ask this now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So Romans chapter 8, last time I spoke was on Romans chapter 3, and um, as I recall, that um, wasn't the most joyful subject. Um, it was pretty damning, if you recall, and followed up after that by, by the judgment that came, and the judge was declaring us guilty, but we were saved at that last minute. And before the sentence was pronounced, there was the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Catch up on the last, um, last couple. We won't go right back to the, to the beginning because that would take way too long. But uh, just of chapter 8. And um, so we had... Uh, John did the first bit a um, couple of weeks ago now. And uh, we, uh, he brought out from there. And I went back and had a look at the... Uh, re-looked at the, the message online. So another plug for getting online, having a look at the messages there or ordering the CDs or videos, DVDs. And John's reminded us that there's no condemnation, there's no defeat and, and it ends with no separation. He told us and it took a lot of comfort out of the reminder that we're being, once we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. He used the example of a car that needs to be continually fueled up because it would use up its quota of fuel and need to be recharged and recharged. And then also compared it to a train, that as long as the train was in contact with the, with the power, with the source, it could run forever. And, um, and so that's a good thing, because we can relate to that sort of stuff. We all fill up our cars with fuel from time to time. Then last week, uh, Nick did the next bit, and uh, he challenged us to, um, to have an adrenaline shot. Um, you know what it's like when the adrenaline kicks in, much like it did about, I don't know, about five minutes ago for me. And... Uh, but you know sometimes when you get startled and, and sometimes and, and it kicks in or something is you, it startles you, wakes you up in the middle of the night, a noise or something and the adrenaline kicks in then you try and get back to sleep. It's not the easiest thing to do. Um, so uh, he's, he's, Nick challenged us to have the adrenaline shot and let the adrenaline from chapter 8 fill us and to not have doubts. He um, gave the example of um, you know, bad things that still happen and it was just after Queensland had lost the first State of Origin game, but balance is being restored now, and, uh, and so we look forward to the, the third one, of course. Um, and Paul's current suffering, he gave us the example of that reading in Corinthians there about what Paul had gone through compared to what our, our issues may be, not to, to make anything smaller of those people or if you're having real issues, but when we look at what Paul did and we had to go through makes our, my problems seem pretty minor. He talked about groaning like a tree with a heavy hammock strung on it and the tree groans. I suppose it depends how much damper you had. 
during the night, but uh, but that groaning is not just the, that uh, groaning of the physical tree bending and breaking, but uh, of an emptiness that needs to be fulfilled, that needs to be filled. And then he finished with that wonderful progression of being foreknown, predestined, called, justified and glorified. And whenever I see foreknown, I always think of that passage in, in Psalms where, you know, the, and I often quote it, is, he knows the hairs of our head, he knows before we were born, while we were still in our mother's womb, he knew us. What a God, what a God. Predestination will save you the, the, um, the two-hour sermon on that. We'll leave that for someone else like Bill or John. Being called, and, and that was a good one too, being called. I'm reminded there of uh, Andrew, the disciple Andrew. And he was the first to be, one of the, what, the fishermen to be called. And, and then he went and called someone else. Who did he call? His brother Peter. Peter, the one who said, Lord, I'll die for you. And then, and, but then what did Peter do? Denied him three times. And then Peter gets reinstated and, and Jesus says, on this rock I'll build my church. He's talking to Peter. He hadn't been called by Andrew, who knows? But anyway, being justified and then ultimately our glorification. That wonderful progression through there. We see that and we can relate to all those things. There's still a couple to be finalised, but we're looking forward to that. So that's worth the, um, the first bit of, well, the first two-thirds of Romans. And this last little bit here, these verses from 28 to 39. I've titled this one, Let Go of Doubt but don't expect it to be easy. It's one thing to say that we can let go of doubt, but um, we'll see as we delve, delve into this um, passage today that there's going to be some challenges which we need to, go into, um, to come to grips with. Um, so it's my desire today that as we consider God's word that we will let go of doubt and live our lives full in the security of God's love and care for us. You know, doubt's one of those things, isn't it? It has a unique ability to keep us from living fully, um, especially when they produce fear, because doubt and fear seem to go together, don't they? Um, if we have doubts, we, we become hesitant. We, we become a little bit indecisive, possibly, and, and, uh, and that fear. And it's the truth about life in general, and certainly with respect to the Christian life. There are many, and probably some of you even here this morning, who struggle with doubt and perhaps um, the regret of, of not um, living out our faith in Christ to the full. We look back over our lives, as our, our Christian lives, if you've had a long Christian life and you look back over it and you think, I probably could have done better then, but I didn't. Um, and perhaps the greatest reasons we don't uh, fulfil our faith-filled lives is because the enemy has succeeded in leading us into that darkness of doubt. In relation to God's love for us, being filled with the Holy Spirit and the security of, of our salvation. I started off um, reading that book that Bill mentioned, uh, Tom Westwood's A Courtroom Drama. There's a quote from there which I'd like to share, and it says, Although our sins have been washed away, this is thinking about why we would have doubts. Although our sins have been washed away and a complete pardon according to every repentant sinner, let us remember that the moment we became Christians, we entered onto a pathway of constant conflict. So how can we remove or at least reduce doubt and have security? When we have a, a, a quote like that, it's saying here that the moment we've, um, all our sins are washed away and a complete pardon not a partial pardon, not something and then you get um, 
know, parole and, and you've got a parole officer, a complete pardon, we're freed. And yet, we, at the moment, from that moment that we become Christians and are freed, that there's going to be conflict going on. So how can I feel and be secure? So it's easy. To be secure, we let go of doubt. And feeling secure is a major part of our life, but it is also elusive. Bill mentioned before in our worship time that what's happening around the world, if we get distracted or, or not distracted, if we, we need to be, I think, aware of what's happening in the world. But as you see the things that are happening around the world and, and in crops failing in Africa, you just go around the entire globe and there's problems and strife wherever you may feel. And it's overwhelming, is it not, that if you if you're allowed it to be, and you think, well, miss, how fortunate we are to live in this place. But even in this country, there's becoming um, uh, less and less stability, you would say. And what about on a personal level? There are many reasons we can feel insecure. Um, our children, our parents, our job prospects, how we're going to survive in retirement, maybe. Um, fortunately, though, in the single area that matters most, our relationship with God, we can have that ultimate security. The Bible declares that God offers believers his unconditional love and acceptance. I know that some struggle with this notion. I want to remind you that God's love for us is perfect and he will never let us go. He yearns for us to have complete assurance and, and security in him. And this peace and confidence is absolutely critical if we were to ex experience Christian life the way God intended so, as way of introduction to our message today, Romans 8, 31 to 39, um, in one of the commentaries I read, it said, could be the most comforting and encouraging passage in the entire Bible. Would we agree? Yeah, there's some good ones, but this section is just uh, delightful. Um, the verses uh, definitely declare that feeling secure leads to the removal of doubt and makes us available to serve our risen Saviour. Let's read this passage, or I'll read it to you. You can follow along. If you've got your Bible there, open it and read along there. Watch and um, enjoy this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, not also, along with him, graciously give us all, all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, no more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was going to set you a task there to count the number of questions in that passage. Some of you might know. There's a list of questions in those, those verses we just read. See, I might have to catch up later on and give you a hint. 
I'm going to break this message into three sections. And the first is there's no longer any opposition. There's no longer any condemnation. And there's no separation. The three sections there through this little passage and the opposition and condemnation and separation. These things are which, which can build, us, uh, build up and build up and, and, uh, and we get condemned a lot, don't we? People can easily condemn what we do. There's no longer condemnation. The separation is something which, which ultimately, um, well, we don't have now. But the separation from God is what hell is going to be like. Eternal separation and loneliness. And we'll start here with, there is no opposition. Okay, so no matter who or what comes against us, remember it is God who is for us. So in spite of who or what, um, anything that happens, remembering that God is for us. In verse, uh, in 31, uh, 8 verse 31, uh, it says, What then shall we say to these things? Now, Paul's is the, it's the first bit of the section, and he's referring to everything else that's preceded it back throughout Romans and certainly the rest of the earlier part of chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? The first of seven questions in this passage. Again, I'll spare you the numerological sermon on the significance of the perfect number seven throughout the Bible. Um, and, uh, but there are some wonderful numbers and, and people uh, can really expound the scriptures and the gospel message through numbers. But this is the first of the seven questions in this passage. And Paul's goal is to exhaust any and every objection through this passage. And since Paul is astounded by God's unconditional love, he writes in, in the second part of verse 31, If God is for us, who is against us? Notice Paul doesn't ask the question, who is against us? Rather, he qualifies the question with the phrase, if God is for us. Paul is saying, if God is, for, um, Paul is, saying, if God is working on our behalf, and he is, um, then who could succeed in opposing us? His point is that no adversary or enemy counts uh, when God is for us. Um, Romans 8.31 apparently was one of John Calvin's uh, life verses uh, because it brought him so much comfort and, and confidence. So today, if you're feeling defeated uh, or maybe a bit um, ambushed or a bit burdened, uh, perhaps we just remember this verse again. But Paul's encouraging truth is that evil will never ultimately prevail. You'll always be led to victory in Christ because God is for you. So perhaps we can put your own name in here. And can you, you, know, can you personalize this verse today by adding your own name? If God is for Daryl, who is against Daryl? If God is, is for you, who is against you? Who can be? Can you see that? Can you feel that this morning? Can you honestly think you could put your name in there and have you assured that, that God is for you? Um, it's great comfort. In verse 32, Paul answers the questions of 31 um, with a rhetorical question. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul argues that from the, um, from the greater to the lesser. If God's already done the big thing, i.e. delivering up Jesus, um, how, how will he not be able to do the little thing? That is the relationship with saving us. For God to give up his son, Jesus, to death and then leave us halfway to heaven would be like someone who's got a lot of money spending a huge amount of, uh, of, of money on a car, say, for example. And even though they've got the funds there to do it, then they're walking away from it and leaving it on the side of the road because they wouldn't fill it up with fuel. 
It's another one of Bill's daft scenarios, isn't it? You just wouldn't do it. So this almighty God has done the big thing and has given up his son, Jesus Christ, to, to be the, the sacrifice for us. Will he not then do the little thing, which is to make sure our journey to heaven um, is not halfway done or leaving us halfway there to, to finish off the job? Um, yes. That's the idea behind Paul's argument here. Since God gave up his son to buy our eternal lives, he will certainly give us whatever we need to live for him now. But this phrase, all things, does not include the things taught um, by those who like in the false doctrine of the health, wealth and prosperity. You know, this all things is all the things we need um, to, drive the, to, to ensure that our ultimate glorification, um, rather than just the things which we uh, are more temporal in nature, let's say. So continuing on with no condemnation now in verses 33 to 34. Um, although we may feel condemned from time to time, God's love for us is timeless and he will never condemn us. Paul writes in verse 33, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. And it's another rhetorical question, isn't it? Equivalent to an emphatic denial. So the question is, who would dare bring a charge against God's elect? The answer, of course, is no one. This question could be straight out of um, Tom Westwood's book um, because it's a courtroom setting. It's, it's, that, it's that scenario of charges being laid and, and um, defence presented and the accusing done and the judge sitting there in, uh, to make his decision. Um, but no one can charge us with uh, sin crimes anymore because God has justified um, us all equally. God has acquitted us and declared us all righteous before his perfect justice. If God, if God pronounced this verdict, um, who can resurrect the charges of wrongdoing that would bring us before him again? And as a believer, we can be sure that we're eternally uh, secure because there is no sin that has not already been dealt with by, Je uh, by Jesus. Therefore, if God the Father went to all this work to save you, or save me, save us, it's nonsensical to contemplate the remote possibility that we could somehow be lost. If God is the one who justifies, who is able to unjustify me? The answer, of course, is absolutely no one, once God has put it there. Isn't that comforting to know that there's no sin that hasn't already been dealt with by Christ? It's really cold when I got up this morning. I'm warming up now. Uh, moving on to verse 34. Uh, so in verse 34, Paul asks, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. And more than that, he was raised to life, who is now at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And Christ Jesus firstly died. Uh, secondly, was raised. Thirdly, is sitting in power and sitting at the right hand of God. Um, interceding for us. These four acts, these four things, have accomplished and secured our salvation. We can be certain. The work is finished. The word intercedes also comes from, from the courtroom. And uh, 
uh, and it, it refers to the word of a defense attorney or an advocate. And as our defense attorney, we can count on Jesus Christ to win our case. He now lives in the presence of God at his right hand, pleading our case before the Father. His plea is based on the finished and sufficient work he did on the cross. Can you imagine if it was done as a as TV show? Right? And he said, this week, you see the accusations against John. Sorry, you're picking on you, mate. You're in the peripheral vision there. Tune in and see what happens to John. And then the charges are read out. And speeding down Bradman Avenue. Failed to keep left on the highway. Why is it always driving ones for you? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So the list goes on. And you think, oh, he's going to get it this time. He's going to get the, the book thrown at him. He's going to be put in jail. But then, and as the, as the series goes on, and then the, it comes to it, and Jesus is there, and he goes, hang on. John's repented of those sins. I've dealt with them. They are no more. They're inadmissible. inadmissible. And the case gets thrown out. As a TV show, it might become a bit of a predictable format. But what a wonderful format it would be to know that if we come with that repentant attitude that our worst sins can be wiped, not just wiped clean, but forgotten. And the worst things we do become to him. I'll have to run that past someone in the media, maybe see how it goes. So we can be sure we are eternally saved because our sins, the sins past, the sins present, the ones we haven't even committed, haven't even committed yet, the future ones, they still remain paid for by Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've been struggling with an overwhelming sin and wondering if God will ever forgive you. Maybe there's a sin in your past that you consider so dreadful that you wonder if your status in the family of God is lost or in jeopardy. Perhaps you've lived a life in such a way that you wonder if the Lord will remove your relationship with him as a consequence, hoping by now that you would be all saying no. But there's nothing that can separate us. There's nothing which will make him give up on us. I encourage you to cling tightly to the understanding that if you've believed in Christ as your saviour, he will not condemn you or abandon you. Don't let guilt paralyse you anymore. Allow God's assurance and his security to envelop you, to wrap you up, uh, to ensure that you are in fellowship with Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is our intercessor. He preserves our salvation through his continual intercession we just read before. Um, and it's gone forever. And we can't let Satan punish us and, and break us down by continuing to condemn us for things that happened in the past or things we might have done this morning even because the evil one will try and do that, to put that doubt in our minds. And once he has a foothold, then it, then it develops into other more serious problems for us. Let's go on and move on to separation. Uh, since God set his love upon us in eternity past, he will continue to love us for all eternity future. Paul emphasizes the love of God three times in this section in verses 35 and 37 and 39. And he uses the verb separate at the beginning and the end of, of of this section as well in verse 35 and then in verse 39. So it sort of bookends it. 
And I think that's a nice little solid um, image to have there, that the separation is not there anymore for us. And there's no separation from our relationship with God. Paul begins with the question that is potentially the most critical question a Christian can ask, and that is, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And if you read that very quickly, you might miss the, the, the phrasing. And of course, the answer is, no one can separate us from the love of Christ. You may say, but I don't feel like I love Christ all the time. Perhaps that I'm not sort of there all the time, not up there all the time. Sometimes I'm sort of here, sometimes I'm feeling a bit down there. And if we look at that verse and with that mindset, we've misread it. Because it says it's not who is going to separate us from our love for Christ, but who is going to separate us from Christ's love for us. You see the difference? Because we fluctuate, don't we? We run hot and cold sometimes, most times. Let's face it. But it's not our love for Christ which is going to separate us. Um, it's his love for us which does not change. I don't know about you, but um, that hot and cold becomes a little bit annoying sometimes. You just wish you could... Then I realised that perhaps if it was like nice steady as she goes all the time, we don't experience that joy of remembering that we've been redeemed. If we're always just going along in the, gray, in the middle area and playing nice and safe, we don't often, we don't always, we won't feel the, the exhilaration of knowing and walking closely with him and then through something we do possibly in getting away out of, the, out of his word or getting distracted by the things of the world that, that we tend to start coming down a bit and coming down and, and God seems a little way away. It's that point that we realise that perhaps we're not and we get back in and we forgive, we ask for forgiveness and ask to be restored and then to be back in that close relationship with him and then we come back up again, don't we? Am I speaking alone or is there people understand this as well? If my salvation was going to depend on my fervency of my love or the, on the fervency of my love for Christ, I'm in a bit of trouble. But thankfully, again, we, my salvation does not depend upon my love for Christ. Rather, it depends on Christ's love for me. Paul knows when he's writing this that the original Roman recipients, they were suffering. So he brings up a list of potential obstacles to his claim that there's no separation with God. Or tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or soul, or sword. Sounds a bit like what Nick was reading to us last week from Corinthians, doesn't it? It's Paul's resume, almost, and of what he's been, what he'd been through, except for the sword at that stage. Paul emphasizes both the deprivations and insecurities of life, and includes that list of seven. The list reflects the very difficulties that Paul went through. And his experience of first six items, the seventh was always a threat to him. Um, Paul indicates that we can expect some of these trials as well. He said, we don't necessarily expect it to be easy. They may rock our faith a little, but God will see us through, as he did with Paul. In verse 36, um, where he quotes um, from Psalm 44 here, it says, he doesn't need to firm the sufferings that will strike believers, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is the psalm written by the sons of Korah when they lament the death of those who belong to the Lord at the hands of evil men. So we have it fairly clear that there will be problems 
um, being a Christian. And the context of Psalm 44 is instructive because as they um, lamenting the suffering of the righteous who have not abandoned God's name, uh, and yet they are su still subject to humiliation, defeat and mockery. But what Paul affirms in, in Romans is that such mockery and suffering are going to be inevitably part of what it is to be a Christian. Bit of a downer, isn't it? This, this whole passage is supposed to be more than conquerors. If you look at the little heading in your, in your Bible, it'll say more than conquerors. And why are we getting struggled down here and, and dealing with these things? I think it's there because we need to be realistic about what it is to be a Christian. There will be persecution for us. But the overwhelming and repeated um, joy of this whole chapter, this section, is that we are the conquerors. That there's no loss of salvation, even though the difficulties of the day-to-day -day living, in this, even in this country, will sometimes cloud in on us. But there is some good news. So don't give up yet. In verse 37... Uh, but in all these things, we, are over, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Um, Paul gets pretty excited here, and you need to talk to some of the Greek scholars in the church here to understand um, the Greek word, but it's translated overwhelmingly conquer. And the root of the verb is the word Nike. So next time you see the logo, um, remember Romans 37. Through Christ, we are not just victorious, we overwhelmingly conquer. I'd just like to reread those verses out of the Amplified Version. Uh, it's an older version, but it, it just is amplified, amped up, as you would say. Um, I remember um, a very wise older man at the church I grew up at, he used to like his Amplified Version very much, didn't he, Lindsay? Not Lindsay, either. <laughs> Lindsay's dad. Verse 37, um, Romans 8, verse 37 to the end, out of the Amplified, says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through him who loved us, just um, so much that he died for us. For I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I put the emphasis on those bits that added there, the unlimited. Do we sometimes forget how infinite God is? Do we sometimes try and put him in a container of some sort? What can separate us from the unlimited love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord? So in this passage here, Paul's pulling out all the stops. He says he's convinced and still convinced and more so convinced. And he speaks as a man who staked his life upon certain unchanging realities. I'd like to start, but some lovely combinations there in those last couple of verses, which is going to break down pretty quickly. Um, I know. So the first one is death and life. Uh, nothing in this life and nothing in death can separate a believer from God's love. Perhaps the two things we fear most, living and dying, are not threats to our eternal life. Whether we live or die, we're still in God's love. How about this section, this little triplet here? Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. 
um, referring to angelic and demonic powers. They're forces that are far more powerful than, than we are. They are unseen, yet, and yet they can't separate us from God's love. While the devil and his demons can make our lives miserable if we yield to their influence, they cannot take away our eternal life. 1 John 4 and 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. What about things present and things to come? Things present we can deal with. Things in the future we're not really so sure on. Nothing in our present experience nor anything uh, to come can separate us from God's love in Christ. What about height and depth? If we travel to the highest or lowest points in the universe or anywhere in between, we'd never arrive at a place where we could escape Christ's love. There is nowhere we can go anywhere. Anyone or anything can take our eternal salvation away from us. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Do we get the message yet, people? Let's apply what we've learned. How do we apply it? I'd say a good place to start would be memorising some of these scriptures. Romans 8 and 39. Maybe John 5 and 24 which says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from life to death. Or 1 John 5 and 11 says, God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. So whoever has the Son has life, but whoever rejects the Son rejects life. These verses give Christians great security, don't they? There's many, many more. But, um, and I don't know, you seem to remember these things. As a kid, you used to learn Bible verses and you used to get rewarded for it. Interesting way of doing it, but it works. And those verses are still there and songs we learn as well. Um, the security acts as the fortress of strength against the condemnation of Satan and our own fleshly doubts. It adds, should add real zeal and enthusiasm and vitality to our Christian service. An uncertain salvation is really a sad one, isn't it? It repels rather than attracts others. If people look at you and you're uncertain about your salvation and your faith and your Christian walk, they look at you and think, not much attractive there. But if we have some of this joy that, that is there because of the security we have with an unbreakable bond with our wonderful Heavenly Father, then that attracts people. Um, so we need to move forward with confidence in that we are secure in Christ. Perhaps the greatest application is to show others some of this unconditional love. If we love others with God's unconditional love, we are secure, we'll be able to love others. If we remain insecure, we'll be more concerned about ourselves. Yet God's love for us should compel us to show his love for others. So when we see those people around us, possibly even our brothers and sisters, stumble and fall when they lack unlovingly and unmercifully. Don't wash your hands of them. Show them you love Christ by getting down and helping them back up again, being ready to forgive and restore them always. Paul said it well when he said um, in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Well, God says that his love for his children is unconditional and eternal. Uh, sorry, when God says that his love for his children is unconditional and eternal, we can be sure he means it. We sang in the song 10,000 Reasons before. And uh, a really good song there. We try to number them, they outnumber the grain of sand, grains of sand. But if we even tried to think of 100 reasons, I reckon I'd start repeating them. But these words were in that song and said, Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. 
If we can start our day rejoicing in the relationship we have, that unbreakable relationship we have with the Heavenly Father. And whatever happens during the day and whatever lies before us, may we still be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this, this passage on, on being more than conquerors. Father, the, the Christian life is one which is full of surprises and yet you are constant. Father, forgive us when we vary and, and, and move possibly away from you a bit and cycle backwards and forwards and get distracted by the things of this world. Help us keep our eyes fixed upon you. Help us understand what it is to be um, in a relationship, in an unshakable relationship. That when the fiery darts come and we have on your armour, Father, that we can repel. Father, cause us to remember your scriptures, to, to be able to use them. And Father, the joy it gives us, may people see that joy in us and desire to know what it is. And Father, no matter what happens during the day, at the end of the day, May we still be singing your praises as the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Amen.